please take a copy of the Word of God and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Find verse 1 in Luke chapter 11. We've been preaching through Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, which is really all about prayer. And the title of this series has been, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And the Lord has been doing that. He's been uh, teaching us. We started with some principles of prayer found in verses 1 and 2. And now we're right in the middle of uh, the Lord teaching us at this point not how to pray, but, but what to pray, specific requests. And He's teaching us uh, the petitions of prayer. And there are five here. The first two were prayer requests built around the glory of God. Hallowed be Your name. And the second request was Your kingdom come. And after the glory of God, right, from the glory of God, when we have our mind and heart set on the promised plan of God, His sovereign plan in which we are so privileged to be wrapped up in, well, our good flows out of that glory. And so the last three requests under those petitions were for our good, God's glory, and then our good. The first was for provision, Give us this day our daily bread. The second for our good is for pardon. And we, looked at, we started that last week and we'll continue that uh, today. And then next week, really amazing passage. A prayer for our good, the good of our protection. Our protection. Lead us not into temptation. And so after the the principles of prayer and and those petitions of what to pray for, after that, we will move into a a parable of prayer. We'll take the whole parable together, and Jesus will teach us not what you think, but will teach us something probably different. So you're going to want to be there in that passage as we learn really about the heart our heart for prayer and uh, where it comes from, the passion that we have to, to be with Him in prayer. And then finally, we will look at the promises in prayer that are guaranteed from our Heavenly Father. So, it's just a wonderful section. Let's read it all together, uh, not out loud together, but just as, we, as you see it tie together, I'm going to read these uh, first 13 verses of Luke chapter 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught His disciples. And He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, and I think he moves on to the how of prayer, not the what, but the, kind of the, the how we pray. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and Give him as much as he needs. So, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. 
Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, there is so much here for us that will ignite our relationship, our communion with You, our Father. Lord, it doesn't matter so much if we just pack our heads with truth that now we understand this passage. If it does not lead to more and deeper and fruitful prayer and communion with You, I ask that individually and families in this church family that You would ignite in our hearts really a desire and an understanding of prayer that we would pray. We know that revival will happen in our own hearts and our families and in this church family when this church prays. So help us now as we come and we just desire to learn a difficult passage about forgiveness. We want to understand it and put it into practice. I ask that you would help us now. Holy Spirit, come and work In this church today, through your word, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There are sometimes tensions found when we come to the word of God. Sometimes troubling tensions, truths truths that seem to be in tension. We don't understand how they fit together. And we're called to believe the Word of God and to patiently compare Scripture with Scripture to see how these truths fit together. And in our passage about forgiveness, there are two tensions about forgiveness that we need to get settled today. And the two tensions are this. Number one, if you think about the good news of forgiveness for sinners like us, Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14 says, Paul writes this incredible words, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All our transgressions were forgiven by Christ. Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Our sin, all of it, every transgression where that arrow falls short of the glory of God, all of the debt of all of our attitudes and actions that we've done wrong and things left undone, culminating throughout our lives, has buried us in an infinity of debt before a holy God. All of that, Jesus paid it all. He took that upon His cross. He paid the penalty of all of that, earned a perfect righteousness, gives us that righteousness by faith. And yet, the Bible also says in 1 John 1.9, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wait a minute. If we're forgiven all of our sins already, past, present, and future, why do we have to keep on confessing sins today? That's a tension that is in this text. There's another tension that is in this text. Great, right? There's another tension in this text. And it's found, and I left it for today, it's found in the second half, I want you to see it as you read again, verse 4, that second prayer request for pardon. In verse 4, the second half of verse 4, and forgive us our sins, and look at the word for. 
For. That's a reason word. God, let me give you the reason you should forgive us our sins. It's a tension. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's what the text says. So we've got a couple of tensions. One, if we're already forgiven, why do we keep asking forgiveness? And then, what is the, why are we forgiven in this passage? What is the reason for it? Are you telling me that I come to the God of the universe and say, God, look at me. We ourselves, look at how I'm forgiving others. And, and based on what I have done, please respond and forgive me. Is that what this text is saying? And so we deal with the text of Scripture, not our own opinion. And so we feel these tensions in this text. Now to resolve, now listen carefully because this is going to be confusing if you don't hear what I'm saying. We've got these two tensions, but to resolve them, we're just going to go into the text. And the tensions, I hope, as I do that, will resolve themselves. And I'll tell you when they should have been resolved when we get there. And if they're not... Uh, as I said in CEO, text Pastor Jim. <laughs> so what we're going to do today is we are going to do, we're going to look at why are we forgiven and we're going to give three reasons from this text. And then we're going to do what we need to do and we're going to say how does this change the way we pray? Why are we forgiven and how does this truth change the way we pray? That's what we're going to do today. And I hope by doing those two things, we're going to also resolve those two tensions at the same time. Okay, here we go. Why are we forgiven? There's three reasons that God forgives us in this passage in the middle part of verse 4, and I think they're built around that for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. First, we can expect God to answer this prayer and forgive us. We can take it to the bank. We will be forgiven. Here's the reason we will be forgiven. We will be forgiven because, number one, because we are God's family. Number one, because we are God's family. This passage says in verse 2 that the people praying it are addressing the God of the universe as Father. Father. Did you see that? We're not praying here and, and doing some good forgiving and maybe giving to some people and providing for them and protecting ourselves from sin and pulling up our bootstraps in order that someday we might address God as Father. We come to this passage and we have already, we're already addressing Him as Father in this passage. So, we are not forgiven because somehow we've done enough forgiving of others so that God is kind of pleased with us and so then forgives us because of that and then brings us into his family because he sees that we're forgiving kind of people. I know you could read this text that way, and over a billion people in this world have read this this way, and out has come a doctrine of confession. But we will, I don't think this is a good reading of this passage, because we're addressing him as Father. So the whole point of this passage is that we are constantly needy sinners that need to be forgiven by our Father. We're already in the family, but we are just so needy and we constantly need to be confessing and repenting. We're in need of continual forgiveness. We're not offering to God our own record of forgiving others as the reason that He should forgive us. No, we are already the children of God. We call Him Father. And here's what we're saying. We are so sinful, 
father. We're so, is anybody with me on this? We're so sinful, daddy. We're still so sinful. But you know what? We're not. We're the real deal. We're not hypocritical sinners. We are your children. We come to this prayer. We really have got settled that we can call you father. We're not bouncing between two opinions here. You can't pray this prayer and wonder, is he really judge still? Or is he father? He's father and daddy. I'm just struggling. I keep going into it. And you come to your father. (laughs) I've got your life within me. I'm your child. Father, forgive me. It's like Peter sitting by that charcoal fire. Jesus is there cooking some fish. Peter's a complete loser. He knows it. It's the elephant in the room around the fire. Jesus knows it too. Peter's denied the Lord three times. Even after Jesus said he would, Peter said, are you kidding me? Me? And, and let me paraphrase what Peter says to Jesus. That Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter says, I know I'm pathetic, Jesus, but let me tell you, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, we are called to love our enemies and to do good to them. Why? In order to receive love from God? No, in that passage it's very clear we're to love our enemies and do good to them because God, we are sons of the Most High God, it says, and, and He is kind and ungrateful to the evil. He gives them food to eat and rain, and that's love, that's common grace. It's called love in the Scriptures. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful then, even as your Father is merciful. And so we're pleading with God, God, we are your children, we are family. Please forgive us. I think of that woman who came into that courtyard and the Pharisees and they're all having dinner and they're all reclining there and their stinky feet are around the edge and this woman barges in, breaks all societal norms and lets down her hair to think of that in front of all of the men and weeps over the feet of Jesus, wipes His dirty feet with her hair. Why does she do that? In order to be forgiven? Let's see, if I weep hard enough here and and I do enough societal boldness and stuff, maybe then Jesus will then love me. No! She loved Jesus much because she what? had been in the past forgiven much. And so, out of a heart of being forgiven, she poured out her love. It's the Good Samaritan. Didn't, oh, help that do some health care on the side of the road to merit a relationship with God in the context of our passage and to get eternal life. No, love the Lord your God. And then the next verse is love others as yourself. Not flipped around. Or if I love enough, then maybe eventually say, yeah, that's pretty good. I'll justify you now in the future. You've loved enough. That is not the Gospel. No. The same thing is true with forgiveness. Forgiving others. Forgiving others in our lives is evidence that we have the DNA of God our Father. That we are born again. His seed is within. He is a forgiving God. And that is evidence that we are children of God. Now, let me just not dwell on this, but this is a bit of a wake-up call. This passage. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to pray this way any of it, unless you're part of the family of God. 
I get it. We've memorized it, and you know you can you can recite it all until the cows come home. To, to pray this from your heart does not make sense unless you know that you know that you know that you're part of the family of God. In fact, praying to be forgiven by God and then having a hard heart that will not forgive others. It just doesn't fit this passage either, on the other hand. Forgiving others is evidence that we have been forgiven of God. And if you will not forgive, you cannot forgive others. Does the Spirit of God live within you? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Is the seed of God in you? There is an intrinsic, obvious warning here. I mean, remember Matthew 18... Jesus talked about this all the time. I mean, his disciples were always saying, and they were thinking they were really smart here, hey, how many times should I forgive that loser over there? Seven times, the number of completion. And Jesus, I don't know if he shook his head or what, 70 times seven, which is, look, it doesn't end. You've got the seed of God within you, don't you? And then he goes and he tells a story about that. This guy has got 10,000 denarii of debt, and he begs for forgiveness. And he begs for mercy. And his master forgives him. He could never pay that back in a thousand lifetimes. But then his buddy owes him a hundred denarii. To that same servant that was just forgiven, someone else owes him a hundred. And he grabs that guy and he chokes him out. Because he can't pay him back. He will not forgive. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, is that, really, is that guy really forgiven? Cast him out while well, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Charles Spurgeon said, quotes, Unless you have forgiven others, you read the Lord's Prayer to your own death warrant. Classic Spurgeon. You read it as a hypocrite. Does the seed of God dwell in you? There is, there should be in here by the Spirit of God, a Holy Spirit confidence before God and a warning and an encouragement to let go of bitterness and to forgive. As Kevin DeYoung says, quotes, if you, have, if you never forgive, you ought to wonder if you have ever truly experienced and really believe in God's forgiveness. In quotes. You have to wonder. So there's a warning here. Because at the end of the day, God isn't forgiving random people here. He's forgiving His family. So the question is, are you, is this really for you? Are you in the family of God? Do you have His DNA? Can you say we love because, yes, He has first loved us? Or is it just something that I say every sermon? We show mercy because he, we have been shown mercy. Kindness to me, kindness to others. Forgiveness to me, forgiveness to others. We are forgiven because we are forgiven by God in this passage. Because we are already God's family. But the question is, are we? Are you? I wish somebody would have asked me that when I was 24. 17. Alright. First reason that we're forgiven here is because we're part of the family. The second reason that we're forgiven here, and it will be answered every time, is because He is a good Father. Because He is a good Father. So essentially what Jesus is arguing here, to answer one of our tensions and to help us continue to answer this, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The, Jesus is teaching us to pray from the lesser to the greater. What do I mean by that? Let me try to explain this. Father, we ourselves also, even we, forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Father, we're evil. We're broken. We need your forgiveness. We are inconsistent. 
we are confused. We don't know whether we should forgive them once, twice, seven times, or 70 times seven. We are your children. We have your, and, and we are forgiving others. Oh, we are evil. How much more, Father? Lord, answer your prayer. You are the good God of the universe. I know I've done it again. I know it seems like you need so much patience with me. I know I've failed my wife time and time again, and I'm failing. I can't get victory over the Father. Forgive me. He's arguing the character of God. Much more, Father, you will forgive your children when we ask for forgiveness. I take it to the bank. It's right there in the context, by the way. Look at verse 11. The lesser to the greater. Now suppose one of you fathers, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, we love, I mean, we are evil and inconsistent parents, aren't we? Raised by evil and inconsistent parents. And we still like to give good gifts to our kids. Some Christmas presents. We like to provide food for them. We desire them to succeed and grow. They ask for forgiveness. We forgive them. We're losers. We're evil. They're hungry. Give them nice food. Nice food. Nice Chinese food. We're so inconsistent. We're so pathetic. If we, having the DNA of the Father, are able to forgive others who sin against us, how much more will our Heavenly Father forgive us when we ask? He is ready to forgive our Father. He always responds 100% of the time to a broken and contrite spirit. His love towards us is everlasting. It's a white-hot perfectly consistent, everlasting of love, love. There is no inability, hesitancy, and failure in His love. There is no failure in His grace. There is no failure in His compassion towards us. Will this prayer be answered when you, as one of the children of God, says, Father, forgive me. I did it again. I did it, believe me, yet again. Will He forgive you? Why? Even pathetic DNA carriers of God like us who are evil forgive. Oh, Father, I'm so thankful that You are a good Father, a perfect Father, and that I can take this promise to the bank. 100% of the time, You will forgive. So God forgives us according to this text from the lesser to the greater because He is a good Father. Unlike us, we're called evil. We still do it. So instead of making us nervous that we have to somehow be so forgiving that we can earn God's forgiveness, it's actually the opposite point. It's actually the opposite point in this passage. Since vengeful people like us imperfect in all our ways, evil people and fathers and mothers like us forgive others. How confident can we be when we go to God, the God of the universe, the holy, righteous, good, faithful God of the universe and say, Father, please forgive me. What are the chances He's going to forgive you? Come on, what percent chance when His children go to Him forgiveness, will He forgive you? 100% based on this is a promise. It's supposed to be read to give us confidence, not question the gospel itself. That's the irony. He will do it. He will meet your greatest need, forgiveness. It's so encouraging. So why are we forgiven? Because we're in God's family. And because we happen to be in that family, we happen to have a really good father. <laughs> 
that's why we're forgiven. So we're perhaps we're making a little bit of progress to figure out some of these tensions. No. It might read, some people in the history of the church might read this, that we got to in order to be and all of that. But no, no, I address my father here. We're already in the family. And because we're in the family, we have, and we have such a good father, so we forgive. Now, and I, and I talked about the next tension in the last sermon. I got us started, but I want to really drive it home because I've felt it's super important. The second tension was, look, if we're already forgiven, why is this even in the Lord's Prayer anyways? Why are we asking for forgiveness? And that leads me to the third reason why we know that we will be forgiven in this passage. And you have to change your outline because I, I typed that out wrong and I apologize. You ready? Now listen to this. We can be confident that God will answer our daily and sometimes hourly and minute-by-minute minute prayers for forgiveness. Why? Because He delights. He delights in our fellowship. Because He delights in our fellowship. If you're a Christian, you can't stand when your prayers bounce off the ceiling. If you're a Christian, you really long to be in the presence of God and feed in His Word, and you're really grieved when it's just going nowhere. If you're a child of God and you've sinned yet again against your wife and you can't seem to get a hold of your temper and your patience and you do it again, tears stream down your cheeks and you lose sleep over it, right? But that's from our perspective. Do you realize when we've broken fellowship with our God, that it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. There's a sadness there. And on the flip side, there's a joy, there's a desire for our God to be in communion with His children. I mean, we can, as dads, we can be pleased or displeased with our kids. We can have a rift in that relationship. But, God forgives us because He delights in our fellowship. He wants to restore fellowship. This prayer is not addressed to the judge of the universe. Listen, this is not addressed to the judge, it's addressed to our Father. Forgiveness has, is already over. The moment you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, the God of the universe slammed down his gavel, the judge of the universe, and declared you, because of Christ, forgiven of all your sins. Not guilty. Forgiven and righteous in Christ. That's finished. We've been freed of our sins. And we are pulled into the family of God. We're in the household of God already. Already adopted. Already justified. Oh, still having the remainders of indwelling sin. And so this passage is boots on the ground sanctification. Justification is finished, and we read it in light of our justification, but this is day by day sanctification and growth. We need daily bread, we need daily forgiveness, and we need daily protection next week. Come back. As we walk with our Father. That's what this passage is about. It's just what we said last week to remind you when Jesus washed Peter's feet in John 13, right? Jesus said to the disciples, you're already clean, but i got to wash your what? Feet, because they're dirty and contact the world. The ongoing cleansing that we need, but we're already clean. Not all of them. Judas wasn't. He wasn't truly a child of God probably prayed this prayer. So I would say that the forgiveness that we're speaking of in this passage is not judicial forgiveness. We don't bring our sins back to the judge. We're already free. But it does make sense to bring our ongoing sin to our Father because we have a broken relationship a broken communion and fellowship. 
and it's two-sided. It's not, we're, we're not the only ones grieved on this. This is the way we take this passage. Like, we're the sad ones, and God's like this you know, transcendent judge still that has his arms folded against us and care less whether we're in fellowship with him. It's not true. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He delights to have fellowship with That's why he's going to answer this prayer request. He's going to bring us back into the light and back into fellowship with him because he delights in having fellowship with his children. Isn't that wonderful? That's why he's going to answer this. We'll always make it about us. So we've broken this relationship. We've broken communion. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We've distanced ourselves from God. We're not pleasing to Him. And so, because God is, desires fellowship with His children so much, He's willing to forgive. And He'll pressure us into forgiveness. He doesn't go off and you know, do stuff in Iran and Iraq and work in Israel with Hamas and do His sovereign thing and leave us. No, no, He's working. He's working with His kids. He's bringing us back to Himself. It happened to David in Psalm 32. David sinned against Bathsheba and then he blamed others for a year until a brother, Nathan, told him a little story about another guy's sheep. David was not happy about that until he figured out, you are the man. He was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And in that year, The text is clear in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, when I would not pray this prayer from my heart and ask for forgiveness, God was not just indifferent. No, no. God wants fellowship. When I kept silent, not praying to my Father, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of the summer. But then praise, praise God, verse 5 happened. I acknowledged my sin to you. In my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you waited for about 30 years to see if I was serious about that prayer. No. And you forgave. And the Hebrew text is such a quick, definitive forgiveness offered by God. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then David, beginning and end of that psalm, is writing from a place of forgiveness. He says, oh, how blessed, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He's back in fellowship. No heavy hand anymore. Back in fellowship with his God. And so this is why we're forgiven, to bring us back into joyful fellowship. Joy on our part and joy on God's part. It means something for the Christian. I mean, Peter writes to men, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding way, guess what, men? Your prayers are going to be hindered. Next verse. Don't care. Don't pray anyways. Or, my prayers would be hindered. My fellowship with God would be hindered. There's nothing more horrific for the born-again Christian than to think that their relationship with God is hindered. The very love of God dwells within us. So the answer to the tensions here is, yes, all of our sins have been paid for at the cross of Christ, the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future, all been forgiven judicially by the judge. We are clean, but that's justification. There is sanctification and ongoing family dynamics. Oh, we know about family dynamics. There's family dynamics. And it's our desire to be pleasing to our Father. And when we're not, we break that fellowship. We long to be close. And so we need not judicial forgiveness. We need familial forgiveness. We need relational forgiveness with our Father. We don't go to God in some sort of cringing fear that we might lose our justification or maybe we're never justified in the first place, that maybe we'll get kicked out of the family. No, no. 
Even a loser father like me knows how to forgive my kids. I am secure in the family of God. I'm not fearing eternal condemnation in this passage every time I sin. That's a betrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For is therefore right now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I've still broken the relationship with my father, with my daddy, with my Abba. I've broken it. And I long to ask for forgiveness. Now listen, i got to drive this home. Why do we still need to ask for forgiveness right now? Ongoing forgiveness is necessary after you have been justified legally by the judge of the universe in order to maintain and grow in family fellowship with your Father. And as my friend Paul Fuller put it, as we talked about this difficult tension, for the work, quotes, for the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification to continue unhindered, end quotes. This is about fellowship with our God. This is, this is about holiness and growth. And if we're grieving the Spirit, we are stunting our growth. Is that not a horrific thought for the born-again Christian? Going nowhere in a hurry for Christ? No, no. We pray this prayer so that sanctification may continue unhindered. So, we're not offering our forgiveness as a reason for God to finally at the end of the day forgive us and then adopt us into His family after we've done it. No, no. Many have read this text this way. We know it actually teaches the opposite. And second tension, right, is that we are not we are we are pray, we prayed for forgiveness the first time but this is a prayer as part of the family for ongoing not forgiveness from the judge once and for all for the penalty of sin and our justification this is sanctification an ongoing horizontal fellowship relational cleansing of our feet that this passage refers to so there's three reasons we're forgiven. One, because we're part of the family. Two, God's a good father. And three, he delights in fellowship. And by answering those questions, I hope we have resolved to some degree those two tensions in the text. And that leads us then to some practical application of how this impacts our prayer as we finish up. How? How do then do we pray for forgiveness in light? Okay, we got that figured out. Now what do I do about this? How? I want to offer you two, two suggestions. Number one, how do we pray for forgiveness? By looking to the Bible for conviction. Now let me, let me say that again. Write it down. Think about it later because we don't have a lot of time. By looking to the Bible for conviction. Now, there's no... It is not a mistake that in the context, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to His Word, and the first thing Jesus is going to teach on from the mouth of Jesus is prayer. And what we're meant to see is that if we're going to live this out in the time of the New Testament and Old Testament closed canon... We have the book of God right here. This is the voice of God. And so we come to the Scriptures not just to learn stuff about God and get our already and not yet sorted out and learn all kinds of theology, theology to win debates. And we don't just come to the Bible to see the glories of Christ. We come to the Bible for all of it. We come to the Bible and, I, and we joke about you know different... Uh, Glenna Marshall has an approach, and then, you know, the, kid, the teens have learned the light bulb observation, question mark of the text. We also learned this, the arrow, light bulb, we're going to make observations when we come to the Word of God. Questions, what questions do we have of the text? We also learned arrow. What did, what did the arrow mean? Some teen tell me. Application. Are you sure you want... App Pastor Jeff, would you stop getting so theological and you and MacArthur and people like him, they never apply the Scriptures. Are you sure you want application? Do you really want it? Because what application implies is we're not 
we've fallen short in our daily lives of the glory of God. We will not add up. We got to move. We're here. We got to be here. The arrow says we got to move. And to move, you got to do it. And to move and to do it, you means you're not doing it, which means you got to ask for, you got to confess it, you got to forsake it. It's called repentance. And you got to put it into practice. Are you sure you want application? Because application means we've got to look to the Bible for conviction, not just Christ. Are you sure you want application? But yet it's glorious, isn't it? When He shows us our sin so that we can come to our Father, not in abject fear of condemnation, but just to get it right and to move forward and pursue holiness. It's wonderful. Read the Bible for conviction too. Second. Second. In order, the how to pray for forgiveness in light of what we learned, how do we pray? By looking to Christ by faith. So we do have Christ. Secondly, looking to Christ by faith. Child of God. Child of God, listen to me. Do you believe that your Father will answer this prayer in this passage after the sermon? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's going to take what? Faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the irony of this passage. The devil wants to undo this passage and thereby undo the whole meaning of it. We need faith in the finished work of Christ to ever pray with confidence a prayer like this. <laughs> Sinners like us? Evil fathers like us? Are you kidding me? So we got to have faith that the Father is not always angry and judge, like a judge towards us and hesitant. And, and, and this is why I'm so frustrated with the interpretation and the translation of the next parable. Like God is some guy you wake up at night and fold your, and it's like, you got to persist and ask him a thousand times and finally he'll bend the knee. Not the right interpretation. Come back next time and find out what it is. It's not that. That is not our God. Oh, his arms are wide open. The prodigal, he was looking for him. He was far off and he was waiting for him. He saw him when he was a speck on the horizon and he ran out to meet him with arms open wide. That is our Father receiving sinners like us. So why are we living as if we're unforgiven? Wallowing in shame and burden and guilt and self-pity. Not forgiving others because all this shame we ourselves carry. Do not betray the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to your Father. Have faith in the finished work of Christ. It's very ironic to me that when you're confident that your Father will forgive, then you're much more willing to do what to others? That's the irony of the tensions in this text. Sometimes we think that God, we've done it again, He must be completely sick of us and not love us anymore. He, he's going to take those adoption papers and... Rip them up. I think Peter felt this. I mean, what a loser. He denied the Lord three times, even to a little servant girl, the great Peter. And Peter was not walking in light of forgiveness. He said, man, let's go back fishing. We're done. It's over. He's dead. What's the heart of our Savior? Oh, mm. It was the heart of our God. No, the heart of our God is this. John 21.15 So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish? More than these, I think. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. 
He denied him three times and he restores him back three times. He restores Peter back to work. Back to relationships. Restored back into service. Using gifts. Working with people. And when you work with people, it gets messy. And so you need forgiveness by being restored back into service. Isn't it amazing how the Scriptures work? That the very tensions are teaching the opposite. And now we've been forgiven by God and we see Christ. And so we can forgive others. And Jesus prayed for Peter. When He predicted His denial, Jesus said, Peter? Peter didn't believe He'd do it, but Jesus said, Peter, listen, I want you to remember this. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. We have to believe the truth. Before we're ever going to pray this passage, the Father has forgiven us. And this promise is a yes and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know? 1 John 1.9. Listen carefully. I think we missed this. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means this is ongoing sanctification forgiveness here. Because in light of the faithfulness of God and the justice of God, you don't want justice when you're praying for forgiveness. If this is talking about an initial justification passage. You don't want justice. No. Since God's justice was poured out on our substitute, our Lord Jesus Christ, and He finished your sin and burst forth from the grave, and He's alive. God is just. He'll never punish you for that sin and Christ. You've been set free. And the only sin you'll ever put to death is forgiven sin. And so because we confess our ongoing sin for the cleansing of our feet, because He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the chapter divisions are just so sad sometimes. Because he says in 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a lawyer, a perfect lawyer, who ever lives to intercede for us. And he prays before the Father, Father, my work is finished. Forgive them. For this, for my sake. And so we have such a great high priest who ever lives, who ever prays for us, as Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.23, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able also to save forever. Those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Therefore, let us then with confidence draw near. Confidence! Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Oh Lord, help! I'm broke. I'm a sinner. And I'm in danger of the devil. Help! Then we may in confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And because of Christ, therefore we pray, Father, forgive us our sins. Amen.